Hi, this is Craig Valentine, host of Early to Rise Radio. Have you ever wanted to become wealthier, healthier, wiser, or just have more time to appreciate the finer things in life? On this show, we reveal what high performers are doing every day to be more successful without sacrificing their personal lives. Early to Rise Radio is sponsored by The Perfect Day Formula. Get your free copy of this game-changing success guide at freeperfectdaybook.com. Now let's get started with today's show. Steve McBee, welcome to the show. Greg, thanks for having me on. It's uh, been a long time of following your content, reading your books, and it's, it's nice to finally connect even digitally. How did you even find my stuff in the first place? Man, I uh, actually, uh, Book Unstoppable, it was um, given to me by a buddy of mine. I was dealing with some anxiety at the time, feeling like I, there was just so much work that I couldn't uh, overcome, and I didn't even know where to start or where to begin to overcome that. And a buddy had told me to read that book, and I think I picked wow. that three or four years ago, honestly. That's amazing because, you know, you've got a million things going on and, you know, some people might know you from Joe Millionaire. We'll talk a little bit about that, but, you know, you've been on reality TV. You have your helicopter license. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I'm a helicopter. That's amazing. Uh, You own a car wash franchise. You have a, correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. You have a 6,000 acre hunting ground and lodge complete with CrossFit style gym. Yeah. Yeah. Actually we farm 40,000 acres, but yeah, that particular setup sits on 6,000. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we grew up, uh, when I grew up, my dad had 280 acres. So here in 40,000 is insane. Uh, so you guys farm that and then you're the founder of apex protein snacks, which, um, I'll be going to send a whole bunch to Bedros, but hopefully you took some out when you saw them on the weekend. Yeah, I did. I took him out a bunch this past weekend. <laughs> good, good. And then you might have another TV show coming out in 2024. I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about that. Yeah, we're working on a project. Uh, it's going to be centered around our farming and ranching operation. Um, and so it's it's in the negotiation uh, side of things right now. And fingers crossed, we're coming to the conclusion of that here pretty quickly. And we'll be filming here pretty quick. And... Um, I've never watched this show, but my mom likes that Yellowstone show. And then have you actually, some of your animals have been used on that show. Yeah. So I bought a bison herd, uh, middle of last year. And several of those animals actually came from the Yellowstone ranch, um, that okay. they show. So they were actually the animals that were used on Yellowstone. And when you see the bison running around, got it. And then did you move them down to Missouri? Yeah. So they're here on my farm in Missouri. And so it's, it's funny how it all connected really Joe millionaire. I it sounds bad. I didn't go on a dating show to date. I was using it as exposure for Apex Protein Snacks and then also exposure for my farming and ranching side because I knew we were so similar to Yellowstone and how big Yellowstone has gotten. I was like, I think I can leverage this into a farming and ranching reality show. And, you know, fingers crossed, it's looking like that's going to come to fruition. And and, and this is all from the one stoplight town of is it Gallatin, Missouri? Gallatin. Yeah, Gallatin. Population 1,700. So it's not a Do very- Do you guys big... even have a Dairy Queen? No, no. We've got a Subway and one Mexican joint. And from my- you got front... a Subway. Interesting. Yeah, we've got a Subway. That just came a couple of years back. But from my driveway, it is five miles to my nearest neighbor. So it's a long ways. Wow, man. That is something else. Yeah. So much to unpack here, but, but first what I want to do, is it Steve or Steven? Cause it's Steven on your Instagram and I don't yeah, want to so I go by Steven, my dad's Steve. We have the same name. Just makes it easier. Got it. Got it. So we go all the way back, uh, 10 years ago, a decade ago, 2013, you're playing five, a ball. And I don't know how far you thought you would go, but you tore your ACL. So how did that change your life? 
Yeah, for really all of my life, I was growing up as the identity of a football player. So that's how everyone knew me. That's how I really had my life shaped out. I could see myself playing at least division one ball. I don't know if it was going to go any further than that, but that was the plan. And that's all I thought about. And so in the blink of an eye, literally uh, one cut in an injury changed all of that. You know, I was in um, a straight leg brace on crutches for four months in physical therapy. Uh, it would have been a month after I graduated high school. So about two weeks from actually moving down onto the college campus to begin summer workouts, I played in an all-star game, had never been injured. And literally the first play of that game, I cut wrong and blew out my entire knee. And wow. so really like in the blink of an eye changed the trajectory for my life. And yeah. I'll be honest, that was really about the time where, um, you know, I've, I've never been a in a clinical depression, but I would say I was very, very close to it at that time. Thankfully, I had a good support system around me, but it was tough coming out of that and, and really thinking, who am I? You know, what what do I do with my life now that this identity that I've shaped my entire life around is gone? And unexpectedly, I thought I had four more years at minimum of playing ball and um, really just like that, it was taken away. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I have the exact same um, magnitude of story, but you know, I was I was really good at soccer, a totally different sport. And I thought I was just going to go to college and then I was going to be as good there as I was, you know, in my hometown. And uh, I didn't even make the team. And and that really like, you know, whacks you when you're a young man, you do have your identity built up into things, but your coach at the time, a guy named Ryan Schartz or Schwartz. Yep. Ryan Schartz. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Schartz. Yeah, it's t- tough last name. Uh, Ryan Schartz uh, said, some things in life just aren't fair, but in true Steve McBee fashion, he's handling it better than the rest of us. What is true Stephen McBee fashion? And I don't mean your farm fashion, which I appreciate on uh, your Instagram, but what the heck is true Stephen McBee fashion? So I've been blessed to have the support system that I've grown up with because I've grown up in an entrepreneurial, you know, positive mindset type of family. And so they've really instilled that in me from the very beginning, um, you know, hard work, dedication to what we do and passion for every single thing that we take on. And so I'd say whenever Coach Schartz was saying that about me, it was it was in that form, that outward projection of uh, optimism. And, you know, I, I hate to say that it was almost a it was a fake optimism because behind closed doors that it was a tough time in my life. Um, It was a really tough time. And so even though coach Schartz, you know, seeing me smiling, you know, I'll be all right. Thanks guys. That's what I was portraying to everyone. My mom and my girlfriend at the time who I dated for seven years, they know what that time was really like in my life. And it was tough. It was really tough. And I think what really got me through it was going on this self-improvement journey. And that's really when it all started was right around four months post-surgery, right when I started getting off the crutches is when I started diving into the self-help books, you know, this, this self-improvement journey that I've been on ever since. So if you've been on that journey for about 10 years, you've probably gone through a ton of books. And, you know, I see you mentioned uh, a co-friend of ours, a guy named Ryan Stuman. I really like that guy. And I know that you could do some of his Apex stuff. What were some of the books that hit you the hardest and helped you the most, or, and maybe some of the speeches, YouTube videos, you know, people that you follow that really helped you through those times. Yeah. One of the biggest that I really, really enjoy is called grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're probably familiar with the book. That's one of my all time favorites. I absolutely love that book and what it details about, uh, you know, that more than anything, success is predicated on uh, having that grit, that determination to push through the hard times 
Um, you know, obviously unstoppable, which I read a couple of years back is definitely in my top five. And, uh, that was before I had even connected with you. I was telling people, you know, I'd always give that recommendation just because anxiety is something I think that most, if not all high performers deal with, uh, mm-hmm. whenever they feel like, you know, they, they don't even know where to begin to tackle the mountain that's in front of them. And I think yeah. that book is a really good job of helping you take that first step. And so, you know, you have grit, um, uh, unstoppable, uh, you know, I'm a big Napoleon Hill fan, obviously. Oh, cool. classics. Yeah. Classics read every single one of his books, but, um, think and grow rich is something that I try to pick up and read at least once a year. I just think it's a really good book. That's, um, you know, stood the test of time and really, really benefited me. So then you go from the injury and you go, did you do your MBA? Is that correct? Yeah. So, uh, got my undergrad and MBA all the while I was working uh, at our farming and ranching operation. So directly out of high school, had the injury, knew I wasn't going back to football. I started working full-time at our farming operation and I would commute down to school. So I never did get the college life. I would commute down to school. I'd drive an hour each way to spend one hour in class and go right back to work at the farm. And wow. so that was a, that was a grind during my undergrad and MBA. Uh, but it really taught me the basis of hard work and it, it's funny because I was literally turning in, um, you know, business projections, loan portfolios to banks for our farming operation. And then I'd go down to my undergrad or MBA classes and I'd work on like a, a loan presentation for a t-shirt business. And I'm like, this is such a waste of time. I'm doing right. this life to the tune of a $10 million operating line versus a $2,000 t-shirt business loan that we're asking for. Um, and, and so, you know, I got that real world aspect of it thrown into the fire firsthand from a very early age. And I think that's what a lot of people, uh, you know, don't realize about me. They always say, oh, you know, you're, you're so young, you're 28 years old and, and you're able to take all this on. And I'm like, I may be young, but it's all relative to what age you got started. And so I've been doing this literally since I was 15, 16 years old, growing up in a family of entrepreneurs before I could even walk, you know, instead of, you know, hearing what most kids are doing or playing video games, my dad was having me look at balance sheets. I mean, I've literally heard this terminology since I was 10 years old because it's always been around the dinner table, just being in a family of entrepreneurs. So the farm started, was it your grandfather, your grandfather's father? How far back does does it all go? This is what's crazy about the farming story. We're a first generation farming and ranching company. So my dad bought the first farm in 1998, bought it for hunting and fishing. We're outdoorsmen. We didn't start farming until 2005. And then whenever I joined the operation in 2013, we were farming about 4,000 to 5,000 acres. And from 2013 until really this year, I mean, we've been growing every year since to where we're now a 40,000 acre operation and the largest private farming operation in the state of Missouri. Wow. Uh, what did your dad do before that? So he owned an infrastructure company. So, uh, you know, fiber optic cabling, telephone lines, um, all based around Kansas City, Missouri area. It was a fairly mm-hmm. successful company. You know, they would do 10 to $12 million a year in revenue and would net 800,000 to one to 1.2 each year. So it was, it was a yeah. nice small business. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's amazing for that transition uh, to just, I mean, United just, he's not just picking up something similar. He's picking up something so extraordinarily different in a way. Now, you know, having grown up on a farm, you know, you got to have that planning that, you know, looking ahead and that sort of thing. But, but yeah, there is a lot of nuance to the farming. So that's pretty amazing. Now, when you grew up, did you always have self-discipline and confidence? 
I would say for the most part, yes. Um, just because it was just instilled in all, I've got three younger brothers and it was instilled in us from an early age. And I think being the oldest of four boys, you, you kind of take on a leadership type of role, uh, just out of the position that you're in and being the, the example to your younger brothers. And so I think it's always been a part of me. Uh, but ever since the injury, uh, in post high school, it's, it's gone to an entirely new level. I mean, in high school, looking back, um, you know, if there's any regrets, it would be the, the, I used to eat like garbage. You know, I wouldn't stick to my workouts. I wouldn't be reading the books that I would be reading truly actually working on my knowledge. I skated by on, you know, I had great grades. I was doing really well in school, but I never really put effort into it like I do now. Um, you know, it was something where I'd show up, I'd do my work and I'd go home. I never did any extracurricular work. And nowadays I'm obsessed with learning, like literally do anything and everything I can to get my hands on any type of information that can help me or move my knowledge forward. That's amazing. Um, so going to your social media, uh, your Instagram is, I, I forget, is it Stephen McBee or is it something yeah. else? Yeah, it's just, just Stephen McBee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen McBee, M-C-B-E-E. So I see your social media and, you know, you're one of the few pages that I actually look at, you know, so one day you're running the car wash and it's car wash and there's a bit of coffee place and as well, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's a coffee and car wash. And you got six of those? So yeah, we've got six of those right now. Another two are opening this month. And then 2023, we're on pace to open another 12 uh, if everything hits right. And does is that just you or is that your dad or is that you, your dad and your brothers? So that's my dad, my brothers and I. Um, so okay. we're basically partners across all of our companies aside from Apex uh, and then Encompass here behind me. Those are two businesses that I own solely. But other than that, when we say we are family owned, we literally work in butt heads in every single business. So, Stephen, what different uh, brilliance does each of your brothers bring? Like, you know, because because I asked this from for a personal question, because we're, our my wife and I are having our second daughter and we're like, you know, our first daughter's, you know, she's got a very strong personality. And we're like, you know, it's the next one going to be completely different. You know, is she going to be like super chill and type B or like? How do you and your brothers differ? And are you guys like a Marvel superhero team where one guy's brilliant here and one guy's brilliant here? Or are you guys almost all the same? No, we have very different skill sets. For me, you know, I'm more of the uh, outgoing leader type personality, more of the visionary. Um, and my younger brother, Jesse, who is 26 now, he's got a construction management degree, very, very quiet, um, not as outgoing, but very detail oriented and organized. And then my brother, Cole, and he, he's the guy that gets the brunt of your jokes on social media. Oh yeah. I give it to him nonstop. He's actually the pretty boy of the family. He looks like Casey Denton from Yellowstone. Um, <laughs> so he can take a little, a uh, little, uh, joke right. and then Cole is the crazy wild child of the family. He's 23 years old. He's like a natural born salesman can literally make a friend out of everyone in any given situation. Uh, and then my youngest brother is a little quieter, but more organized as well. And so we all have these complementary skill sets that really, fit us well across our companies. Um, and, and it really makes us have uh, a completely rounded team. We were only really missing, um, you know, a CFO side. Uh, and we were able to find that a couple of years back. And other than that, we've got about every single um, high level, C-level skill set uh, figured out in our companies. Man, that's that's amazing. I love that. So, so then let's go and talk about Apex Snacks. So you started this one, what opportunity did you see that made you want to act on this? 
Yeah. So it would have been 2018. My brother Jesse and I were in Alaska caribou hunting and we were staying in a tent for 10 days in the North Brooks Range, Alaska, which you can literally see 25 miles. And we happened to miss the caribou migration. So you either see like 100,000 caribou or you don't see a single animal for just like miles and miles. So we were sitting out there for 15 hours a day because it doesn't get dark and we're just bored out of our minds. And I had always, or you know, since the injury, tried to eat healthier. So I brought a bunch of meat snacks, beef jerky type snacks. And my brother Jesse has a sweet tooth. So he had brought your Skittles, your Starburst, you know, your Twizzlers, all of these things. And we're sitting there, we're so bored. We're reading the nutrition facts on the back of these uh, packages. And I'm looking at my beef jerky and it has almost the same level of sugar as my brother's candy. And I'm like, what is going on? Like meat snacks are advertised as this health snack. And here we are. And I have just as much sugars in so many ingredients that I don't even know how to comprehend or pronunciate the name of. I was like, this is horrible. You know, to me, I wanted a portable, packable, high protein snack. And so that got my wheels turning whenever we got home saying, you know, is there a way that I can make this where it tastes great? It's made with 100% all natural ingredients and has no to low sugars. You know, the only sugars coming from um, the fruits or the natural ingredients that are going into whatever the certain flavor is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's classic. You know, the entrepreneur has a problem. Entrepreneur decides to solve a problem. So how many head of beef cattle do you guys have on your farm? Yeah, so we run 2,000 cow-calf pairs. Um, Right now, a portion of the uh, Apex Protein Snacks is made from my beef, uh, Uh but we're getting to the point where I can't supply all the beef, so I'm ordering the rest of it from local farmers that are all, uh, you know, guys that I know that are running in the area that run similar, uh, you know, Angus is what we're running. And so it's all very, very high-quality beef that we're running in the the snacks. So you get that started, and then is this entirely online ordering or do you have distribution as well? I wanted to keep it direct to consumer. Uh, I have friends that have done very, very well in the direct to consumer model with the protein and supplement industry uh, industry. And just seeing all the red tape and the difficulties that you have and really um, the negotiating leverage that retailers try to use against you. I didn't want to go retail. I was saying I would rather move a million sticks at, you know, a dollar, a dollar 50 profit, then move 10 million sticks and make five, five cents a stick. You know, it's so much more logistical challenges, so much more uh, inventory is so much more risk on my end. So I'd rather move less stick, be direct to consumer and be able to communicate directly with those consumers. Yeah. You know, it's the Walmart paradox. You know, I've, um, my sister used to work uh, as an executive at Target and at Walmart and, and it's like a curse when you get into those stores because they demand so much of you and you get so little back. And so many people think that it's a huge breakthrough, but it's not. So I believe that you are definitely doing the right thing. What were some of your bigger breakthroughs for the success in the sales of Apex? So really, I leverage social media. Um, so I have a network of uh, very influential and large followings from the country music scene, from the fitness scene. And it all stemmed back from having uh, these different influencers up to my ranch and have them hunting with me. And so whenever I launched this product, you know, I had this in the back of my mind of, uh, you know, uh, any given relationship is a value proposition, a value exchange, right? And so I was letting them hunt for free, kill a lot of really, really nice deer. And, you know, it was almost... I don't want to say I was using them, but I knew there was going to be a time where I was going to lean on their followings and that they could help me out in return. And so whenever I launched Apex, I asked each of them, you know, hey, would you be all right promoting this product? And so I got 
essentially what would be about a million dollars worth of uh, promotion for free. Um, yeah. And so that's what really led to the very first success of the company. Uh, but as far as the biggest breakthrough, the first two years of launching the product, I was third party manufacturing. And there was four months out of each of those two years where 85 to 90 percent of my product was out of stock. I couldn't get my manufacturer to produce the volume that I needed. I would put in POs for, let's say, 10,000 cartons of a particular flavor. And six months later, he called me and said, hey, I got your PO done, but I only got 2000 of them done. And I'm like, how am I supposed to manage inventory with this? I can't even, you know, run ads. I can't even market because customers go to our website. There's nothing to buy. They're not correct. Right. And so I built out my own manufacturing facility, got that going in July of 2022, and that has changed the game. We're able to meet demand and, you know, manufacture whatever particular flavors running out uh, at any given time. Yeah. And, you know, just go back to the relationship building. Um, when Bedros and I released our book, so, you know, obviously, you know, I've got the unstoppable one. I got the perfect day one. When I got released the perfect day one, I released the book first and then I did four or 500 podcasts, you know, and you get to do it that way. Bedros went and did the three to 400 podcasts in advance and then went back to people when Man Up was coming out and asked them all to promote. Now, he did it the better way. I did it because I was kind of reacting, but he did it with that plan in mind. And it was the same sort of thing. Hey, I'm going to do this podcast for you. I'm going to promote this podcast that I'm on. And then, you know, he's just building up that goodwill. So I think that's an absolutely fantastic way of looking at things that you did it. Now over to the car washes. What did you guys do when you decide, like, how did you decide, first of all, that this was a space you wanted to be in? And second of all, how did you go about launching these ones? So in every company we had looked at besides Apex thus far, we were very heavy in labor. Uh, we were very dependent on mother nature, obviously in the farming industry. Literally your revenue swings from 60% of projections to 130% based on a couple rains. And so, so many things are out of your control. And we wanted to be able to take a model that we could duplicate and almost cookie cutter it across the country for different lots. And so we looked at the car wash. You have recurring revenue through the memberships, the monthly memberships. You're building out the same building. You're just putting it across different lots and you're really low labor. I mean, we're running three to four people across each site at an express tunnel. And if we have, you know, detail bays where they can pull back into that one gets 15 to 20 people. But for the most part, it's lower level labor. And so we looked at that model, explored it, really liked the way that it shaped out and really just decided to, to jump all in into it. Yeah. I have another friend up in Indiana, a guy named Bobby Hatfield. He has about six or eight. He used to be a chiropractor and saw the same opportunities. And then one, another one of my friends who's in our mastermind group, a guy named Chris Larson raises money to buy them. Um, you know, he does a lot of real estate investing. And again, it's, you know, it's the same arguments that they make that, that you have. It's just, you know, it's the low labor intensity. Um, they also say and, and believe that it's kind of recession proof because, you know, recession comes along, people got to take care of their car better. Uh, yep. Good times are coming along. Everybody wants to, you know, keep their car looking nice. So that's been interesting. Now that one, I would imagine is pretty capital intensive to get going. It is. Yeah, it is. Pre-COVID, we built out our first couple locations and we're building a really, really nice wash compared to what most are doing. We were doing about 4.5 to $5 million per location. And now post-COVID, we're up to about 6.5 to $7 million of build out. Has it just been inflation of building material or something else? Inflation of building material. So concrete and steel has been our biggest cost increase. Um, and then also car wash equipment has gone up as well. Got it. 
Got it. All right, let's switch gears now and let's go back to Joe Millionaire. So this was 2019 that show aired? So this actually aired, we shot it in 21, August through October of 2021. And then it aired January of 22 is when it aired. Oh, okay. All right. This just aired. It was Q1 of all last year that it aired. Okay. So give me a quick summary of that experience. You know, first of all, who contacted you? Why did they want you? And then what was filming it like? And then what was the experience after? Yeah. So I was, um, I had a casting company reach out to me on Instagram and I didn't random, know like out yeah, of nowhere, random, had no idea, went through my hidden requests or the people that you don't follow. And I'd seen right. this come in and it was from some person that had, they only had like 2000 followers. They said they're a casting agent. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I had seen a couple of those messages come in before, but I was just having fun with it. So it's like, send them a message back. And they're like, let's set up a zoom. And we hop on that zoom and it's a legitimate production company. You know, you can tell when something's a little more official and they're in a boardroom and so they set this up. So there was multiple people on that. Oh yeah, multiple people. And you could see that it was a legit production company. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is actually legit. And so I ended up following through with them. We went through, they reached out to me in January of 21. And I had five Zoom interviews between January and May. Um, and they wouldn't tell me a whole lot about the show, what it was going to be. They just said it was mostly people that were, you know, wanting to focus on their careers, had never really given love a try. And so I was just kind of having fun. I was like, if they choose me, whatever, you know, if they don't, I don't really care. Well, in July, uh, late July, they asked me to come out to Hollywood for an in-person interview with the Fox executive team, uh, Fox, the network. And yeah. so I went out there, had a really good meeting with the CEO of Fox's reality show side and felt like things were going to happen. And they told me to be ready because I need to be ready to shoot for eight weeks uh, straight. And obviously with all of my companies, I was freaking out. I told them there was no way I was going to be able to do that unless I had my phone for four to six hours a day, just to make sure that, you know, the, the companies didn't fall apart while sure. I was gone. And they told me that wasn't going to be an issue. And, um, you know, all through August, I didn't hear from them. It came to be like August 25th. And they the scheduled shoot day was like, August 28th. And I like text him. I'm like, I got to know, like I'm running multiple companies. What's going on. And they called me and they said, we'll be there in two days. <laughs> and so they came out to my farm. We did like three days of filming there. And then I flew to Atlanta, Georgia for seven weeks and we filmed all seven weeks out there. And it was, it was crazy. It was a lot of work. What people don't understand is that it's like 16 hour days of filming and they intentionally try to string you out to where you can't sleep. You don't eat a whole lot. And they're force feeding alcohol to as many of the cast members as possible to try and get as much drama in the houses. Sure. Sure. So a quick background on the show, because I uh, have not watched it. Uh, Most people watching this probably haven't watched it, but it actually ran on Fox. Yeah, it ran on Fox. So 2003, they ran the original Joe Millionaire and it was the highest rated reality show of all time. It did Super Bowl type numbers. So they took this guy that was a construction worker that was, you know, making $19,000 a year and told all these women he had inherited $50 million. And so this entire show, they thought he had $50 million. And then at the end, he told him, I'm a construction worker. I only make $19,000 a year. Everyone across America loved it, but they had to shelve the show because obviously once it was so popular, there was no way they could duplicate that. Right. So then with this new concept they came out with, one guy's wealthy, one guy is not. The women don't know which one is which. And so that's why they chose me or picked me out of the crowd, because 
if you've seen my Instagram, like one day I'm in the middle of a cattle pasture, you know, covered in cow crap, working my butt off. And then the next day I'm dressed up or flying the helicopter around. And so they're like, there's this guy that can play both, you know, the, the blue collar guy and the white collar guy. And yeah. so that, they ended up choosing me as the, the wealthy guy in the situation. So how are you a different man after doing that show? What, what did it change for you? I would say, um, really personally for me, I think it did allow me to open up a little bit more, uh, as far as, you know, whenever you're put in that type of environment where you really don't have much to focus on other than going on dates, your phone isn't in your hand all the time. And you're just present with the person you're sitting across. You really start to value those conversations and the the people for who they are and how they make you feel whenever you're with them. And we had a really good group of women that were there. I really enjoyed my time with every single one of them. And I think that is something that has allowed me to open up more uh, since the show ended. I think I was pretty closed off before I was like so headstrong on my career only. I wasn't really giving, you know, love or just being there and present in a relationship a chance. And uh, I think since then that show has, has helped me open up to that. Did you watch the show after? I watched a couple episodes, man. It's hard to watch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to watch. Yourself. You didn't have a, you didn't have a screening party on the first night. We did on the very first one, but I was talking to so many people. I didn't even get the chance to watch it, but it was, I watched a couple clips. It was pretty rough. I, man, I, you feel at the time, whenever everything's being filmed, you're like, Oh, I'm going to look really cool. And then on TV, you look at yourself and you're like, I'm an idiot. Well, they got, they got the right cuts and they, you know, they can take 60 minutes of anybody and probably make you look goofy in a couple minutes. Right. You really can. So, you know, so anybody listening to this gets a message from a casting agent. What would you tell them? Yeah. First of all, don't expect it to come from like a, a, a blue check mark type of Instagram. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of these casting agents, they don't have a whole lot of followers. They may even have a private account. Uh, but if they send you, if it looks legit, like the grammar's there, like all spelling's correct, it's worth, you know, sending them a message back if you have any interest because you never know what it might lead into. So you go on the show and then um, what kind of response did you get on your social media in you know January of 2022 until the show ended like were you getting a lot of followers it was did you feel like it was worthwhile to do the whole shtick aside from you know the benefits to you personally yeah i think it was well worth it uh you know as far as the followers i got um i think i doubled my instagram following i had right around 50k and i think i doubled that uh from the show and so it did well it didn't do quite as well as we were hoping for as far as the ratings go i think it was doing 1.5 to 2 million viewers we we're hoping up there around five or six um and so the ratings weren't great uh but i think it was well worth my time and obviously being able to leverage that into other opportunities has has paid off or looks like it's going to pay off which was my end goal all along and then it really just you know it got me to be uncomfortable and try something that i never in a million years uh, could have foreseen myself doing. And so I think it's just one of those things where, um, life is short and, and you have to, you know, put yourself out there sometimes. What did you learn in terms of productivity, you know, running the businesses during those seven weeks, you know, you have, you're down to four to six hours instead of eight, 10, 12, maybe even longer. What did you learn in that time that you've kept as part of some, you know, productivity hacks? Yeah, that was a big deal for me. So number one, being busy does not mean being productive. So I would work all day long and feel like, you know, oh, I worked 16 hours today. You know, that was a really good day. 
it doesn't matter if you work 16 hours, if all you're working on was, you know, as a C-level executive was admin stuff or data entry that someone else could have yeah. done, delegated it or even eliminated it. And so being able to get all of my work done in a four hour period every single morning from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. was really the time I was given to work. I was able to do that to where nowadays I work starting at 4 a.m. I get really 95% of my stuff done by noon. I might come back for a little bit of afternoon work from like two to five. But mm -hmm. other than that, like after 12 p.m., my day is pretty much done and I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. That's amazing. That is fantastic. So, well, you've got, now you've got more things to do. So last year you got a dog and this year you're running a marathon. What life lessons has the dog taught you so far? Oh, the dog has taught me patience because I'm not a very patient person. And, uh, you know, also, it, you know, he's become my best friend in a very short amount of time. I mean, that little dog has given me so much loyalty, so much fun in my life. And he's a German shepherd. He's, yeah, he's a long haired German shepherd. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed every minute of having him. He's actually at the trainers right now. He's been there for about a week. He'll be there okay. for weeks. And I miss the heck out of him. He's uh, he sleeps with me every single night, every single morning when I work on my uh, computer, he lays in between my legs and he's there <laughs> six hours straight, does not even move. Wow. Did you have hunting dogs before that? Yeah, I had a uh, golden retriever growing up that we yeah. were really close to. Um, and then uh, when I was, um, I want to say eighth grade, uh, he ended up dying and my parents actually got attacked by a bull mastiff. They put my mom in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And then my dad was um, all, he had to have a couple of surgeries. And so we were kind of leery of dogs there for a little bit after that experience. And yeah. so, uh, really didn't get back into having dogs until the last couple of years. Got it. And so this one's at the trainer just for general training, or do you plan on some activity with, with yeah, the little just, guy? just general obedience training? Uh, yeah. I, I feel like it's pretty good. I, I'm quite as patient when it comes to training dogs. Yeah. You know, well, we were interrupted by the dog before and oh man, I'm just, I'm just not great. At, it's, I don't have a bad dog. I, my dog has a bad, bad owner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the exactly. way that I look at it. What about, so you haven't started the marathon training because you got sidelined, right? Yeah. Had hernia surgery last week. So uh, I'll probably start running looking like later uh, this week, I'll be able to actually start. I've been on a treadmill every day since the hernia surgery, but haven't been able to actually run. And, and this is a new challenge for you. Yeah, this is a new challenge. And so really I've started. So I stopped drinking on New Year's Eve because I was just looking at what alcohol does for me and what my goals are in life and seeing that there's a misalignment in you know, the drinking and, and how much it was setting me back. And so since I've stopped drinking, it's really given me back a lot of my time, especially on weekends where, you know, on the, the weekend nights, I was drinking Friday, Saturday nights. Now I'm getting so much more time back. I'm trying to fill that time with a good habit. And so I was thinking to myself, what new challenges could I take on uh, that would really push me and test me? And I don't know if I've ran 26 miles combined since high school ended. And I'm about to try a marathon here in late April. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good actually uh, using Bedros's uh, marathon training course that he's sending out. So we'll see how that works out for me. Did, did you ever hear the story about like the first two weeks of training? He was wearing Converse. no. That, that's like he had he was so out of it like about marathon running that he ran the first two weeks in chucks and he he sent an email to this running coach and said like i don't understand why my my shins are killing me and she said well sh show me a picture of your shoes and he sent her back a picture of high top black you know canvas converse oh and she's like you got to be joking me 
He's like, no. And so, um, you know, so if he could do it, so that was 2011 when he did that. And, uh, you know, cause we were running this mastermind and he heard me say like, you know, cut your deadlines in half to some, to one of our coaching clients. And we were talking about a business launch and he thought, well, okay, I'll just run, I'll run a marathon in six weeks. Uh, so two, the first two weeks he ran in Chuck's anyways. So you'll do, if he could do it, you'll do much better than him. And that, you, that's you know, so, anyways. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're about 90 days away from it at the time of this recording. So we'll look forward to hearing an update on that. And you're running that with your mom. Yeah. So I've got actually my whole family involved. They're all going to be running uh, the 5k or the 10k portion of it. And actually my buddy Kurt from the show, Joe Millionaire, is going to be running the full marathon with me. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. It'll be a good time. And so it seems like from your post that you and your mom are really close. What, what influence has she had on your life? Yeah. So she's been my biggest support in life. I think I've had, um, you know, I've I've grown up with really, really good parents, obviously. Um, And I think where my dad was extremely, extremely hard, blue collared, you know, uh, nose to the grindstone. My mom was more of the positive support, uh, positive belief system and, and always there for us no matter what. And so I think being able to have that relationship, I'm very, very, very blessed and, uh, you know, extremely close with both my parents and especially my mom. So have always been able to run my ideas through her, all of my uh, relationship needs and questions I always run through her. We're, we're pretty open about everything and anything I need to talk to her about. That's awesome. What about the lessons for getting your helicopter license? Like, was it extremely, cause I'm just started jujitsu, right? And it's yeah. extremely humbling. And, you know, these, sometimes you just want to quit was, you know, flying a helicopter. Like, did you have days? Oh, not when you were getting started. It was just Non-stop. incredible. The first 20 hours of flying. I legitimately, you know, you have your trainer sitting next to you and there's a, a stick that goes between, it's called a cycle. It goes between you and your trainer. So he can take controls at any given time. And when he'd switch those controls over to me, it would just start doing 360s in the air. Like I had no control. It was so foreign to me. I did not know how to control anything. And for 20 hours, I was like, there's like, I'm going to crash this thing. And then it like, must be a brave man to be a helicopter uh, instructor. I would never be a helicopter instructor ever. As hard as it was, <laughs> I'm a pilot, I would not sit in the seat beside me for sure. Yeah. And so, but at hour 21, you get up off the ground and the hardest part about helicopter flying is hovering, which you think is a pretty simple task, but it's actually super difficult. But hour 21, you're, you get up and you're thinking it's going to be another day of doing 360s. And all of a sudden it just like sits there in place and you're like, I'm controlling this thing. Like it's not moving. What's going on? And it's just that muscle memory from the repetition. It just kicks in and it's different timing for everyone, but it's usually right around that 21 to 25 hours. And it's just like, boom, and you can just hold it straight and steady. And for me, the helicopter flying was taking on my biggest fear in life. So commercial flying, I was scared to death of like legitimately old women sitting next to me would see me shaking and sweating whenever we'd hit turbulence and be like, honey, do I need to hold your hand? Wow. This was my biggest fear. And so I, one day I just woke up and I was like, what is the biggest fear I could face right now today to take action on? And I was like, I could become a pilot better yet. I could become a helicopter pilot, which is even scarier to me. I have no experience. There's no aviators in my family and just go after it. Uh, my, my friend, Bobby, who owns those, um, car washes in Indiana is a, is a private pilot. You guys gotta, gotta meet one day. So how long did it take you to become a helicopter pilot? So it took me 
about 10 and a half months of flying. And I ended up, you have to have a minimum of 40 hours. I think I finished mine with like 60. Usually you finish with 50 to 65. And I think I finished mine with 60 hours. So it was about 10 months. That still doesn't even seem like that much to be flying a helicopter. It's so you don't think it is, but whenever you're actually counting collective time, meaning like you're up in the air, actually flying, it feels a lot longer than it is. Like 60 hours is a long, long time. Cause you'll go flying around one day and you'll only log 40 minutes of actual flight time. Even though you have a bunch of stuff on the ground, it doesn't actually count until your skids are up off the ground. Got it. Yeah. Cause I feel like I'll be, I'll have done 60 hours soon. I'll have 60 hours of jujitsu. I'll still be a white belt. So I feel like you're still a white belt helicopter pilot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and honestly, like whenever you're in the first uh, couple solos of flying or whenever you're fresh off getting your license, it does feel a little weird going up in the air and not having your instructor beside you. Um, mm-hmm. Man, I'm really in control of this thing and uh, it's all on me at this point, but now I'm, I think I've got mid 200s now in my hours. So yeah. doing pretty well on, on building up those hours. That's great. I, I have a, uh, another friend who's uh, been a long time coaching client. He's a helicopter pilot up in Victoria, BC. And so he posts these Instagram videos of him flying through the mountains, you know, the ski mountains is absolutely amazing. But I think yours are cooler because you're like going over the chief stadium uh, <laughs> sometimes. So how far is it from Gallatin to um, Kansas City? So it's about an hour and 10 minute car drive. So with a helicopter, it's about 20, 25 minutes. It's really nice. Got it. And then, so you have the helicopter on the ranch because you're cruising over the ranch all the time. Checking cattle, checking crops, doing whatever we're doing. It's actually a lot easier flying your buddy up there in, in BC. Flying in the mountains, there's a lot of different winds that affect you up there in the mountains, plus the altitude. Mm-hmm. I like to stick here in Missouri where I have plenty of power and I don't have to deal with mountain winds and drafts. No, you guys don't even have hills or anything, right? No, we, we hardly have any hills. So there's not much. As long as I'm above the power lines or cell phone towers, I'm safe. <laughs> Good. So last thing that we want to talk about is a compass, uh, Encompass Academy. So you got clearly you had nothing going on. So now you had to start this, uh, you know, coaching business. And you described it to me as catered specifically to young men, you know, under the age of 30. And it sounds like it's building self-confidence through discipline and structure. So what's your vision for this, this program? And, you know, when can we expect you to be rolling that out and getting people involved? Yeah. So my vision for this program was really coming from the fact of, of what I've dealt with in life and some of those issues that I've faced. And for me, I've, I've had the most support, like I've been blessed in so many ways. And so I see how blessed I've I've been and I still have had these confidence issues, these trying to find my purpose or develop my purpose issues. And I see what it took for me to be able to do that. And so you look at a normal um, you know, person or someone that is not given the uh, you know, external family that I've been given mm-hmm. and they're growing up in rougher circumstances it's got to be tough for them to even find anyone to teach them that. And so what I wanted to do was really develop an all encompassing, um, you know, synergistic relationship between the core four, your faith, family, fitness, finances, because in my opinion, you know, success always leaves blueprints, obviously. And Mm -hmm. so if you look at these guys that are the most successful, you may see business guys that are successful in, you know, finance, but they're overweight or they have a bad relationship with their wife. To me, Mm -hmm. the happiest guys on earth are successful in all four of those areas. And it's a synergistic relationship where they all build upon one another. And so encompass truly means an all encompassing approach to building your life and developing your purpose. And then the compass in encompass stands for, uh, you know, finding that direction in your life. 
Um, because again, success leaves blueprints. So if we think about this, you think about what you want to or how you envision your life, that end goal of what you want your life to be like, and you just build backwards from there. And it almost for, forms what would be uh, you know, like a map of your life. And so mm-hmm. you think about this North Star, this vision that you want your life to be like, and then you have to follow the waypoints in order to get there. And those waypoints are the small daily goals that add up to that end North Star. You know, I think one thing that is going to be very valuable to people is you might have a young man who even had that support like you did, but, you know, has come across that tough point of, you know, whether they didn't weren't able to play college football or whether they you know broke up out of a long term relationship or whether there was some other type of injury. And it's going to be just as valuable for them, because what we see in our mastermind groups is very successful people in many areas of life but everybody has problems. And when you get to a certain level or when you have a certain level of ambition, you can't really share your problems with a lot of people. They either don't understand, or they think that you've got so much going on that you shouldn't be complaining about the problems you have. And especially when it's entrepreneurs, because most other people aren't entrepreneurs and are not the boss. And, you know, you can't really complain about your employee problems to them. So I think that even on the um, very successful young man side, you're going to offer uh, so much for it there. So super excited to see what that, that turns into. I imagine that, you know, you're, are you going to have a podcast that goes along with it? Yeah. So we're just starting to roll out the the long tor- long form content. We're filming yeah. podcasts every single day right now. Uh, oh, great. Up. Yeah, we're gearing up for big content release. I would say within the next month, um, we're going to get this thing up and going. Uh, Currently working on the Instagram. I've actually found some success. I've been working for six months to get this Instagram, and I think I've got it to where in the next week I will have it. Fingers crossed again. Oh, Um, right. You're trying to get somebody's profile name or something. Yeah, yeah. I've worked so hard at that, and I find (laughs) someone, I think I can get it. So once we get that going, we'll actually be able to uh, follow the the business account. But for right now, everything's going to be ran through my personal Stephen McBee Instagram. Yeah. So, so the last thing I want to ask you is, man, you've 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 accomplished a lot. You've got a lot of stuff going on. What do the next five, ten years look like for Stephen McBee and McBee Farms and all the other stuff you have going on? Yeah. So for me, I think the the biggest mistake that I have made thus far in life is attempting to take on too many things or be shotgun effect um, and and chasing seven rabbits at the same time and not end up mastering or catching any of them. Mm -hmm. So I want to narrow down on the things that are most important to me, the things that actually leave me fulfilled. And I would say out of those, it would be this program here in Compass, um, my Apex Protein Snacks, because I'm actually going to be able to help people in fitness and health. Uh, and really those two aspects along with the farm, those are going to be my three focus areas. The car washes are there. They do great. Um, but I'm actually working on, on drawing myself out of those to spend more time on what truly is going to leave me fulfilled. So I would say this is going to become a major part of my life over the next five to 10 years. That's absolutely amazing. Um, do you ship to Canada or is it like a border? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I'll order some up there for when I go home. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, Steven, this has been really fun. uh, Finally getting to know you. It's been really great to hear your stories and see the vision and everything that you have. So at Steven McBee on Instagram and where can people find out more about the encompass program until you get the new Instagram handle? 
Yeah, just look for any of my posts on Stephen McBee. I'm going to be coming out with a lot of information. We're building out all the coursework right now. We're going to be doing weekly webinars for it. So it's all going to be stemming from my personal Instagram, and I'll be letting you all know uh, about the directions to take after that once I get the new Instagram secured. Awesome, man. Stephen, it was really, really great to connect. Looking forward to it and can't wait to have a follow-up episode in this very soon, especially after you guys get your big TV show out. That's exactly right, Craig. Yeah, thank you so much. And and more importantly, thank you very much for all the support and mentorship you've given me. I know we haven't worked directly, but followed you for a long, long time. You've had a very, very large impact on my life. So thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to meeting us someday soon. Absolutely. Absolutely.